I know there are people in this church who've been rejected by their family and by their friends because of their loyalty to Jesus. And some of you, no doubt, are in, in the midst of the toughest battle of your life. Uh, you're facing things right now. You look to the future and you don't know how or if you're going to make it. But I have seen so many of you walk with Christ anyway fully available to him in the midst of your hardship. You're not saying, when I get past this, then I'll be available, God. But until then, it's all about me. No, I see you in the midst of your hardship, fully available to Jesus. You know, for the past 30 years, uh, faith, different ones of us have been uh, involved with what God has been doing in the country of Hungary and in the mid-90s, uh, several of us met this remarkable man. His name is Tibby, and he has this ministry to blind people in, in uh, Hungary. And part of the reason why he can speak with such conviction and with such compassion is because he himself has been legally blind. I mean, as long as we've known him, probably since childhood, right? Uh, he had about 5% of his vision, so he could see shapes and and shadows, but he had enough sight and he had enough faith, whatever, where he could, he could actually negotiate around city streets. He had this degree of independence. And it's just been this remarkable thing to, to know him and just see that that didn't stop him from serving God. Well, in 2010, his sight deteriorated and he became completely like 100% blind. And when he lost his sight completely, he went into this, this uh, dark depression, and he came very close to giving up. He's like, what good is my life now? I, I can't even walk without being, it's like Saul, he being in, in Acts 9, being led about by the hand. Well, he, he uh, and the reason we know this, because he was here just recently, he stayed with the Lemons, and uh, he came and he was led by the hand into this church, and several of us went down to the conference room, and we met with him. And he told us, he said, the thing that, that lifted his spirits and showed him that it is worth it to trust Christ in this life, he came across Luke ten twenty, where Jesus said, do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And he came to this newfound understanding, my name is written in heaven, so my life on earth counts. It's worth it during this brief amount of time that I'm here on this earth to, to be available to Jesus and to serve him no matter what. And so even though his hardship is more profound, more difficult than ever, he's still fully available to Jesus. And it's, it's an, uh, just an amazing thing. And again, I see that in the lives of so many of you here in this room, you have a voice, you have a credibility. Uh, people pay attention when you speak out of your experience. And the, any degree of, of maturity that we have is in part because you are trusting God in the midst of your hardship. And so, well done, honestly, well done. As well, this passage speaks about being fully available to help meet spiritual needs of others. In these verses, verses 22 through 26, we see how the church at Antioch became established. 
because there were people like Barnabas and Saul who were available when spiritual needs arose. Verse 22, we read the report of this, the report of all these uh, Gentiles coming to Christ in Antioch. When it came to the ears of the church at Jerusalem, they sent Barnabas. We were introduced to Barnabas in chapter 4, and there we were told that when there were so many needs in the, the infant church at Jerusalem, after thousands had come to Christ, that people were selling their property, they were selling possessions and just giving the money to the apostles. Well, Barnabas was one of those. He sold a piece of land, and Luke tells us he actually translates his name. He says, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And so that wasn't just just a, you know, just a title. No, he was actually someone who gave people courage by the way he interacted with them, by the things he said, the things that he did. And so it was very natural when they heard that, that there's this need in Antioch that they sent, they sent Barnabas. We also saw him in chapter 9. There he assured the apostles in Jerusalem that Saul could be trusted, even though he had been imprisoning people and, and trying to execute some people. He was now a devoted follower of Christ. And so Barnabas was one of these rare people who used his influence to give courage to other people. And so he was an obvious choice. They sent him, they sent him to Antioch. I will tell you this, if you imitate what's said about Barnabas in verse 23, if you actually imitate him, uh, you'll have a profound influence in the lives of many, many people. This is what we read. When Barnabas came and saw the grace of God, first of all, he showed up and then he noticed, he noticed the grace of God, what God was doing in the lives of the people there. It says, next, he was glad. He legitimately had joy at what God was doing in others' lives. Everybody's glad when God does something in their own life. It is an extraordinary thing when a person is legitimately glad that something God does in the life of somebody else. But he was glad. And next, he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And so he pleaded with them, don't give up, remain loyal to Jesus, be steadfast in this, let this be the purpose that drives your life. And if you have have ever experienced this, I mean, if you've ever experienced this firsthand, you will never forget it. Somebody shows up in your life and they notice what God is doing in your life and they're glad, they legitimately profoundly happy for you, for what God is doing in your life. And they look, look you in the eye and they plead with you, walk with Jesus. It's worth it. Don't give up. He is worthy of your, your devotion no matter what. If that happens to you, it will, you will remember it the rest of your life. And you imi- if you imitate Barnabas, the people who experience you will remember it as well. Why did Barnabas respond this way to the believers in Antioch? Verse 24, for he was a good man. He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit infused every area of his life. He said, Spirit, 
Show me how to live, how to think, how to feel. Show me how to speak. He was full of faith. He actually trusted. He trusted in God. And we read, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So many so, we read in verse 25 and 26. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and they taught a great many people. Uh, we aren't told the, what, what, what Saul was doing in the book of Acts, but it's been about 11 years since he had, had been converted on the road to Damascus. And even, though, uh, and, and even though we aren't told in Acts, he had not been idle. He had been seeking and serving God. But when Barnabas told him about the need in Antioch, he came. He was available. He said, okay. And he went for a year. And we think, well, he was, he was Paul. That's what he does. Well, he spent a year of his life along with Barnabas uh, teaching and, and uh, those in, in Antioch. Actually, it says that they, for a whole year, they met with the church. And so there was relationship there. They weren't just dropping by. They met with the church. And there was spiritual content. And they taught a great many people. And so they were available to use their God-given gifts in the context of relationship. And again, I, I'm just so full to overflowing with gratitude because so many of you are doing this. So many of you have done this for years and years and years. You're fully available to Jesus on behalf of the spiritual needs around you. And many of you, you pour out your lives. I mean, you give untold time energy, spiritual energy, which is significant, on behalf of other people. And most of this happens behind the scenes. A lot of it happens in the formal ministries of this church, but probably much more of it happens behind the scenes. And nobody else sees it, you know. Nobody knows the amount of time, the heart that you put into relationships to help people grow in Christ and be faithful. But God notices. Matthew 6, we're told God notices. Your Father in heaven notices what you do in secret. And he is the one who rewards you. And so, so many of you are pouring out your lives. And I'll say as well, that last sentence in the, in the, at the end of verse 26 is not a throwaway, throwaway line. When the inhabitants of Antioch thought about these disciples, guess what came to their mind? Uh, what, what were they known for in Antioch? Well, it turns out they were known for their devotion to Christ because uh, they were given this nickname. We're told that in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And so they took the word Christ and they added a suffix. It's like they were Christ ones or Christ, Christ people. They, they were known for their devotion to Christ. In contrast, if you read at the first of Acts chapter 11, there was a, there was a group in, uh, in Jerusalem. You know what they were known for? They were Christians. They were called the circumcision party. That's the thing they cared the most about. I don't understand it, but that's what they cared the most about. They were the circumcision party. But these were Christians. A similar thing happened in the, in the 1970s. Some of you remember this. You remember the nickname that... Vocal Christians were given Jesus freaks, right? And it was a derogatory term. And eventually, they said, "We embrace that. You you finally understand. Yeah, that's what we're freaky about. Jesus. That's what we really care care about." And in the second century, 
followers of Christ embrace this name Christians. Yeah, we're Christ ones. That's who we are. And I would just say, if we as a church, if we're going to be known for anything, and we can be known for a dozen different things, oh God, may it be that we are known as Jesus people or Christ ones. May, may Jesus and our devotion to him, may that be the thing that people notice about our lives. Well, in verses 27 through 30, uh, speak about being fully available to help meet the material needs of others. And so this is a very impressive thing. Impressive thing. We see that this infant church in Antioch, they held even their money with an open hand. And just as Ben said, you, you know, when you come to Christ, you need a, a conversion of the heart. You also need a conversion of the pocketbook. And that happened in Antioch. They understood their money was available to God. And so yet again, we see God's driving the action, this time through a prophet who came with a message. <clears throat> Verse 27, now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. Just a little context here. Uh, prophets in the New Testament are, do not correspond exactly, anyway, with prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, apostles in the New Testament correspond more closely with prophets in the Old Testament because apostles, like prophets, they gave an authoritative, infallible word from God. Uh, prophets in the New Testament, they had the gift of prophecy, and they brought a message from God, but we're told in at least a couple of places, First Thessalonians 5 and 1 Corinthians 14, that they would submit their prophecy, submit this message to others who would evaluate that. That never would have happened with Ezekiel or Isaiah or Jeremiah, that they would, that they would submit it because the gift of prophecy, like all other gifts, the gift of teaching, all our gifts are infallible. Sometimes we get it wrong. Having said that, prophecy is not to be despised. 1 Thessalonians 5.20. So when Agabus stood up and foretold that there would be a great famine throughout all the world, the church at Antioch responded this way. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And this is a pattern we find throughout the New Testament. They gave voluntarily. They decided to give. They didn't have to give, but they decided to. Then they gave proportionally according to their ability or according to their prosperity. And here we have a church of both Jews and Gentiles that decides to help meet the financial needs of the Jewish church in Jerusalem. This is one more evidence of their growing maturity. And by far the most extensive teaching in the New Testament flows out of this very scenario. Paul, for the rest of his ministry, he was, he was going to everywhere he planted churches. <clears throat> he would encourage them to give a, a contribution back to this church in, in Jerusalem. They were poor, probably because of persecution as well as because of the famine. And in first, first Corinthians, or in Romans 15, Paul reasoned that since the Jews had blessed the Gentiles spiritually by providing a savior, 
the Gentiles should reciprocate and bless the Jew, Jewish church materially in their time of need. Verse 30, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And so this church in, in Antioch was fully available they, they, uh, to meet the material needs of the church in Jerusalem. And they understood this, this very simple concept of stewardship. They not only understood it, but they actually believed it. And that's that everything God has created, he still owns. He is the owner of everything. But some, some of what he owns, he puts in our hands and he gives it to us for a brief period of time. We are stewards of things that belong to him. Uh, you've probably heard the expression, you know, you, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You can't take it with you. You have it for a short period of time. And so when the prophet comes and says, there's a need over here, God want, God's suggesting that you should take some of what he's put in your hand and give it to them. The church in Antioch said, yes, we're, we're only stewards. And so they were faithful, available to meet the material needs of others. You know, when we teach Rooted, I, I, just the thing that comes to mind, we teach on money, and the thing that comes to mind for me is just how faithful this church has been down throughout the years with when it comes to material resources. <clears throat> this church has many, many people. Again, I don't know all of you, but, but when I think about you, this church has many, many people who don't ask the question, okay, just tell me, what's the minimum amount I need to give so that I can feel good about myself? No, there, there are many people who ask the question, no, actually, God, what is it that you want me to give? Would you lead me in this? And whatever you lead me to give, that's what I will give, whether it's sacrificial, whether it costs me something, whether I feel it in my own pocketbook, my own budget, my own life. But you lead and we will give. And so <clears throat> I love that about this church. And I just say thank you because you've given. It's not only met just the, the operating needs of the church, <clears throat> but you've funded missionaries that have gone all over the world, campus pastors who serve at uh, K-State and in other places. You've helped the poor in our church, the poor in our community, in various various cities around around the country, Kansas City through Bridge of Hope. And so I just thank you for your generosity, for being available with your material resources. And so in closing, I want to say something to you, similar to what Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church. Paul mentioned to them in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, he said, I don't really need to write you about loving one another because you already do that. This is a huge strength in your life. But he didn't want them to plateau. He didn't want them to be complacent. So he said, but I urge you, excel still more. And so I would say to you, you know, I don't really need to tell you, you need to be, you need to be fully available to God in the midst of hardship. You need to be fully available when it comes to meeting spiritual and material needs. I feel like I don't need to tell you that because you're already doing that. But I would say, for the glory of God, for the health of this church, for the sake of one another, for the sake of people in our community, for the sake of this world that God loves, excel still more. Excel still more. 
God, we thank you for your word. We thank you 